Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Before we start, John, it's December. This is Discount December. We're going to give 10% discount on Patreon. And what you get for following us on Patreon is three things. Ad-free podcasts twice a week. You get two macroeconomic courses, not just one, two free. And also from January, I'm going to be answering questions once a fortnight. We're going to have an online macro session. And if you want to go up a level with us, you get a 10% discount for signing up on Patreon right now in December. Patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. Anyway, Podcast time. We're going to apologize in advance to our non-Irish stroke, non-this part of the world, because we're going to talk a little bit about Britain and France. But excluding France, Britain and Ireland, uh, we're going to talk a lot about politics in this part of the world and what things are happening, because there have been a series of polls in this country, which dovetail with polls elsewhere, which really reveals that the new type of politics that has been coming through, and therefore new types of economics that has been coming through, is not a transitory phenomenon. This is real. This is about to take power in many, many countries. And the idea here is that maybe if you take the long view, maybe the 40-year cycle, or maybe even definitely the 40-year cycle that kind of started with Thatcher and Reagan in 1980. And it had as its economic philosophy, small government, low taxes, blaming government for problems rather than government delivering the solutions, by extension in financial markets, talking about shareholder value. That revolution, monetarist, liberal, right-of-centre revolution, is probably coming to an end. And what like in all these revolutions, when they come to an end, they start as a revolutionary movement, they become mainstream, 
then the mainstream becomes the norm, then the norm becomes jaded, and within themselves they have the seeds of their own destruction. And I think the seeds of the monetarist revolution, seeds of destruction, are the seed of inequality. So basically you could have the economy going well, you could have extraordinary efficiencies in business, you could have globalization, you could have outsourcing, all that stuff. But the Achilles heel was the fact that the vast majority of the gains were not going to the average person, but they were going to the very, very top. So at the end, you get hyper inequality, and therein lies the seeds of the destruction, and you start again. And in the same way as what was replaced by Thatcher and Reagan was a big state world, maybe from 1945 to 1980, within that big state world, the seeds of the destruction were significant inflation, huge trade union movements, and the sense that the 1970s ended in sclerosis. So again, what you have is all these movements, they have a three or four decade lifespan, and then they begin to corrode from the inside out. And what we're seeing now is new politics. In Ireland, you have Sinn Féin emerging. In Britain, you have the Brexit stroke Tory revolution that was, although he's not looking very revolutionary now, Boris Johnson, John. <laughs> and a party hat on, though. Because party hat on. <laughs> he has his party hat on. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that you get to a certain age in life and you start denying your party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're young, you're like, yeah, I was at that. That was great. But so what we're going to talk about is big, big politics. I'm going to help John today because he's he's out of sorts. He's living. He look, He's, yeah, uh, he's, got a big, he's got a big face in him. He's looking at me going, oh my God, he's going off on one. But what we're going to do, John, is we're going to talk to Kev Cunningham because we need yep. the, the, the pollsters have the detail, what people are actually thinking, what's really, really going down. So we're going to do, for an Irish audience and the Irish diaspora and the tribe out there, we're going to talk a lot about Ireland for the first about 15 minutes of this conversation. Then we're going to go into the UK and then we're going to look at one of the most interesting elections, which is the French election, John. Yeah, absolutely. But but Ireland is, I mean, it's relevant to everyone because Ireland is a microcosm it of is, what's going on. It was always a microcosm. We've always <laughs> been a leader, a leading, a leading indicator of change on the front foot, always. Ireland, the leading indicator of global change. That's what this podcast is talking about. So let's go and talk to Kevin Cunningham. Kev, how are you? Good to Grace, see you. I'm Grace. I'm delighted to be here. How is how you're, you're right <laughs> You now. don't sound yeah, it. Yeah. I am. <laughs> Enthusiastic. No, I am. I am. I genuinely am. No, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I enjoy the basement. We've lured, you from, we've lured you from the batter from over the batter, to the deep yeah, south, yeah, yeah, over yeah, to yeah. the Alabama of Dublin, well, in Dunleary here, the deep the south. The Alabama, yeah. yeah okay. exactly. Tell us, tell us, there's been so many polls. I want to... Northern Ireland, United Ireland, Sinn Féin, Boris Johnson, the election in France, there's loads going on. Tell us about all these polls and the Shinners in United Ireland. What's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two big ones, really, at the minute. Uh, right across the board, in all the polls in Ireland, Sinn Féin are now massively ahead. That's partly because of the steady decline of Fine Gael. I mean, they've, they've actually declined about 1% every month for almost 18 months, and they're, they're a good bit behind. But then there's also this Northern Ireland feature with the United Ireland. That's a that's a significant thing. We're talking about this all the time. We're trying to understand, is this likely to happen? There's a big poll out showing that 49% are in favour of staying within the United Kingdom, 41% going to the United Ireland, basically. Up there. So it's actually, that's closing quite quickly, though. That is, I mean, I, I did an event last week in Belfast on a, there's a movement called Ireland's Future. 
And it was really fascinating. It was extraordinary. And I, I gave the, the, the speech at it, the, the sort of keynote, because I actually think it will happen. But I think what I'm interested now is the numbers and letting, getting a little bit more detail. I think it, it'll happen eventually. I think yeah. everyone does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I want to do is give me a sense on the United Ireland of what the numbers are. Yeah, so facts. So yeah, it's a really important point. So there's actually two different polling companies doing a lot of work in Northern Ireland. There's Lucid Talk and a lot of the online companies, and they're showing it quite narrow. There's some other companies that do some face-to-face work, that the, like the Northern Ireland Life and Times. And the gap there is much, much bigger in the Northern Ireland Life and Times polls, and they do a face-to-face. The problem with some of those other polls is that if you look at them, Sinn Féin are around 10% behind what they should be. Now, I'm not really sure why exactly that is. Maybe some people, when they answer the door, if they're Sinn Féin supporters, they're, they're not responding to these posters. But I think based on what we understand from the other polls, there's a bit of a, an error there. So, yeah, in terms of the United Ireland thing, I mean, a lot of people look at it in terms of this demographic feature. They yeah. think that it's... It's inevitable. baked in because of the because of the numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly, look, if you go back to the 2011 census, you've got 41% Catholic and 42% Protestant. So it looks quite close. And obviously, the 2021 census should suggest that you're going to have a, a Catholic majority, right? Yeah. But I think to some extent, that's, that's an oversimplification of what's going on in Northern Ireland. In fact, sometimes people try to break that down and try to say, oh, well, from that remaining 17%, or what background are you from? Again, to try to present it as just this straight down the middle contest. But there's a couple of other things going on. Firstly, that demographic change is slowing down significantly. Those big demographic changes in the 1990s, but those differences are... There's a pro-Catholic... The pro-Catholic direction, yeah. yeah, is You're talking about gaining around 2 or 3% per decade now at this point. Yeah. It's, it's definitely slowing down. The other thing about that is even when there is a... Catholic majority, that doesn't mean that there's an adult Catholic majority, right? Yes. There's, because the oldest subset of the population are tend to be Protestant. Yeah. So there's a big gap there. Then the second big reason is that there's a significant softness in the Catholic vote, right? Yeah, let's explore this a bit. Yeah, so if you were to look at how people voted in the last, say, assembly election, and there is an assembly election next year, which is very, very important, and, and some might argue that if Sinn Féin get the First Minister, then maybe that's an argument for having a, a United Ireland debate again. But um, in terms of the parties, right, so pretty much all Sinn Féin voters and all DUP voters are as as you'd expect they would be, right? But when it comes to the soft unionists, the UUP, they're a lot more in favour of the UK than, say, their comparators in the SDLP. So the SDLP are only around 60% in favour of United Ireland. So there's a lot more softness within that SDLP vote, basically. So the soft nationalism is what there's we're talking about. There's whereas whereas amongst the unionists, it's pretty much hardcore. It is definitely harder. And the most interesting thing is because the ethnicity thing, which is basically about Catholics and Protestants, doesn't really tell you very much about people's attitudes. When you ask people separately about their identity, whether they consider themselves British or Irish or Northern Irish, that's a much better predictor of how they are looking at, and we see this in the polls, how they are looking at the national question. And what does that tell us? Yeah, so, so people who consider, so as I said, if you're if you're Catholic, you're about 80% likely to vote for United Ireland. If you're Irish, you're about 96%, right? But the, the, the thing about the British-Irish thing is that there's a third category that is very, very big, which is the Northern Irish identity, which is huge. It's In fact, it's larger than the Irish identity. 
So it's, you know, Northern Ireland is breaking up in, ter- in terms of about 48% British, 28% Irish and 29% Northern Irish from the last census. And that Northern Irish subset is actually growing more and more. Now, the British identity might have been damaged a little bit by Brexit because that middle ground, that kind of soft Protestant vote is kind of emerging as well a little bit because of Brexit. A lot of people who identify as Northern Ireland on the unionist side, Northern Irish on the unionist side, would have voted for Remain. There would be more middle class. And in fact, that even though in spite of the fact that the Sinn Féin and the DUP have won all these assembly elections, there is this underlying growth in the soft middle within Northern Ireland. I mean, the re- one of the major reasons why people vote for the, uh, the DUP or Sinn Féin is to, is to try to guarantee that one or the other gets the first minister position. So they're kind of being bullied a little bit into yeah. doing that, whereas this middle ground is opening up. And the Alliance Party got 16% in the last um general election, if I remember correctly, and they did very well in the European election. So there is this kind of opening up. And I think rather than these kind of incremental small percentages in terms of this demographic change, the the job of work really, if one wants to have a United Ireland, is actually convincing this middle ground, the soft Catholics and the Alliance voters, who are relatively evenly split, but a lot of people are are undecided there, that this is a a positive thing. Now, can you explain to me when you go a little bit deeper into the soft Catholic and alliance votes, what are their attitudes about everything else? Are they broadly similar? Oh, they're broadly, yeah, they're broadly similar to the other Catholics. I mean, one of the major issues up there is the protocol, right? Yeah. And, and they're in favour of the protocol. That that breaks down perfectly on the kind of But in terms lines. of liberal issues, because what, what always intrigued me is that Shan and I were having a discussion about Ireland when she first met me, right? Yeah. There was no contraception here. Yeah. Right. Think about the people people of yeah. your generation and even younger find this impossible to listen. There was no divorce. Right. Think about that, right? right? There was certainly no abortion. Okay. Uh no gay marriage, nothing, right? And then this country went on this 30-year kind of journey of liberalism. Mm. And when you're in Northern Ireland, when you talk to when I talk to my nephew, for example, right? And and, and younger members of our family up there, they're liberal, they're tolerant, they want all this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean is it possible that the North is going to go on this sort of liberal journey as well? And then the extreme DUP hardline on liberal issues will just look like anachronistic. I mean, if that is the argument, I think it's a fairly plausible argument because there is significant majorities for the liberal perspective in Northern Ireland. Yes. You know, that's absolutely true. I know the DUP suffered quite significantly when they changed leader to someone who's really conservative and they got rid of the guy after a couple of weeks. I don't remember this, but... Uh, what was his name again? Jesus. I can't remember <laughs> the DUP voter. I remember... Because, Poots. 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 Good man, Thank John. you, Jesus. Yeah, the yeah, DUP yeah, were, they would always prided themselves on, you know, we have a strong leader for ages because Paisley was there for a hundred years. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then he got rid of... And, and now, of course, they have Donaldson, yeah. who is quite conservative as well, isn't he? Uh, he's more moderate, definitely. I mean, he's from the UUP. Uh, as well. So he's he's kind of come in from that moderate perspective. I think the interesting thing is the protocol because he's now turned around on the protocol. He said he's he's in he's in well, favor of this again. As we say the DUP, the party that never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Well, do you know the thing about the protocol, I think is, and it's kind of like the way Brexit has made Scottish independence a little bit more difficult, is that the protocol obviously gives Northern Ireland this significant advantage. I know, I know. An economic advantage. While it brings them economically closer to us, I mean, they're throwing away something significant if they decide to have a United Ireland because it means that all of a sudden there's an additional trade deal required. Again, that's similar to Scotland, right? Whereas yeah. 
a new, a new trade with deal would be on the cards if Scotland decided to go independent. And that was, funny. I mean, they were arguing last time over the over the over the shape of the coins. I think last time it was whether they'd be able to still have the sterling. Now, now it's Scotland, completely different. It's a completely different. And they've said to the Scots, okay, what, cur- what currency are you going to use? What tax system are you going to use? And all that sort of stuff. But let, let's taxes. let's come back, right? So the, the data in the north is much less compelling than just your sectarian headcount. That's what you're saying. Yeah, it's 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 a much bigger And so you think from debate. your perspective, you know, looking at the data, looking at the demographics, that the numbers are just not there for this United Ireland. Not there within the next 20 years. I mean, you might have this marginal head on, on the basis solely of the headcount, right? Yeah. You have to convince that middle ground because the middle ground is making up such a large proportion now that it's going to decide it either way. It's not just going to be the So we could have a Sinn Féin first minister for a long time before you get anything like a guaranteed majority for United Ireland. That's what yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So yeah, that would yeah, be quite yeah, weird. Yeah. You could have a Sinn Féin government here. Meeting in, yeah. You could have a Sinn Féin government in the north, and yet you have no real chance of a United Ireland on the basis of the demography. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Do you think there will be a Sinn Féin government here? Now, that's the next poll I want to go into, yeah. right? The next poll is the... It's difficult to get 80 seats in this country. That's yes, the thing. it is, yeah. So even if the polls, and you can tell me about them, are saying the Shinners could even get as much as 60 seats, yeah, which they could, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that what, that's what the polls well, are saying? Well, I, you know, when you go, I mean, the numbers that you're getting at here is if you look at the, the numbers on the basis of the current polling, Sinn Féin are going to need pretty much everything apart from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to get in on their own. They're going to need Labour, Social Democrats, Greens, and AIM2 and, and, and all that to, to get it. And actually that just about gets there, basically, but that's very difficult. So what you're saying is Sinn Féin, what are the polls saying in terms of the numbers for Sinn Féin right now? Off the top of my head, you know, you're talking, depending on what poll you look at, Sinn Féin are kind of low to mid 30s. You're talking about 33, 34% thereabouts. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in the low 20s. So there's now a substantial gap. If you talk about the percentage of the parliament, we, we have a proportional system. So the easiest way to think about this is they're going to get low 30 percentage. There's actually a little bit of a seat bonus as well that you can get when you get a higher percentage of of, of uh, the vote share. But yeah, that, that's broadly what they, so, they are. So first of all, we're talking about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael now as a block. This is like, it's quite it's quite interesting. You know, for yeah. all our history, they were never a block. But so now we're, we're assuming that they're going to go together. Well, I mean, so the only, I mean, did, sorry, I, the I, I, I know I come back to The Shinners and Fianna Fáil. The Shinners and Fianna Fáil is actually the only, and was the last election, at the end of the last election, the only really kind of, apart from uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, obviously, which is what has happened, but Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil is definitely a viable government together. I mean, on basis, on basis of the current polling, they definitely will make the numbers and they probably would make it next time as well. You know. So what do you think the likelihood of that is? Likelihood of that is? It's a massive... Con- I mean, uh, one of the interesting things about Sinn Féin versus Fianna Fáil is they're so similar in so many different ways, right? Sinn Féin are promising low taxes and, and all the sorts of stuff that Fianna Fáil offered in the 1970s. But there's one thing that is just so different between them and, and that's the, the Sinn Féin sort of internal discipline. You will never hear a Sinn Féin deputy or backbencher or anything like that complaining about the leader of their party. Whereas for Fianna Fáil... That's, that's every day. That's just all the time. It's part of the, part of the course. And that's the problem for Fianna Fáil to go into government with Sinn Féin because how do they do so 
if they're going to have this kind of internal, they're going to have massive internal debate before they could ever even get to that stage. But they have proven themselves as a party to be very capable of having internal debates and staying in power. Yeah. You know, if that's what they want to yeah. do. And of course, ultimately, if Fianna Fáil want to own the nationalist question, they will have to do some sort of deal with Sinn Féin because yeah. Sinn Féin are an anathema to them, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and tell me, you know, let's go into the polls. Why are people voting for Sinn Féin? Why, when you ask people, when polls are asking, what are the reasons? Okay, so if I can break this down very quickly to two, because some people are thinking about the long-term trends. There's a long-term trend here as well, where the, the two big parties have, generally speaking, declined since the 1980s. Since what we are talking about earlier, Ireland has changed. Yeah. And in that period, Ireland used to be a complete outlier in European politics and that every other European country had 30 to 55% voting for the left. That has changed significantly over time. So the re, one of the major reasons why Sinn Féin is getting the vote it's getting is because it's just in the right place at the right time. You know, uh, the Labour Party was only trying to fight out, trying to get that left wing vote back in the day. And it was only around 15% who are willing to vote for a left wing party. Nowadays, because it's a more secular, more well-educated country, it's it, there are significant differences and reasons why people are more likely to vote for left wing parties today. And there's been a general shift towards people identifying as being on the left. And so that's this long-term trend, which doesn't necessarily relate to Sinn Féin, but it's just but the They just happen to be there. They happen to be there at the right place at the right time. And actually, that is also one of the reasons why when you ask people in open-ended text questions, why do you vote for Sinn Féin? They generally say, oh, change, or because I'm opposed to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And in a poll we've just done last weekend, we asked people directly this question. We listed the possible reasons that we found in previous open-ended questions, United Ireland policies, leadership team, Mary Lou. Yeah. And what is it? It's anti-Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and voting for change. That's what it that is. That is it. That, okay. that is the dominant reason. There's a bit on the spokespersons. Clearly, uh, Ono Brin is actually quite popular among a certain subset of the population. But definitely, it's that is the dominant reason. So it's an anti-establishment, anti the people who've been running this place for yeah. the last 70 years. Yeah, you, yeah, definitely. That's exactly what it is. And, and obviously, there's an economic bent to this. You know, if you look at the demographics, if you look at the types of people that are supporting Sinn Féin in the polls I do, the biggest demographic for them is the 25 to 34-year-old group. And within that, among males, they're getting almost 50% of that vote. So it's it's a renter population as well. They're well over 40% among those that are renting and uh, lots of other demographics. In fact, what's, what's alternatively interesting from a media perspective is that Sinn Féin do okay around 20% of the vote on people who, say, watch RTE or people who read The Independent or read The Irish Times. But outside of that, yep. they're 40% on everything. Like local papers, don't read newspapers, tabloids, everything else outside that kind of, that perhaps bubble maybe is Establishment. Is We're back to that idea. You yeah, know? yeah. And tell me about the UK. Are the UK now doing polls about United Ireland? Are the UK now doing polls in Sinn Féin? Is there an interest now from the UK that wasn't there, let's say, 12 months ago, 18 months ago? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned to you before, I, I've had a couple of phone calls from lots of different newspapers asking about the rise of Sinn Féin even this week. I'm pretty sure that they're covering a number of stories about the rise of Sinn Féin. And, and a lot of that was come even before the polls that have come out relatively recently. So there's definitely a concern over there. I mean, I, you know, I remember being over there uh, when I was working in politics over there 
And it was kind of funny is that sometimes people would sort of say to you, oh, we don't want Northern Ireland, we'll give it back to you. And, you know, in our political strategy and everything, we produce maps and everything. We produce a map of Britain. There would never be kind of strategic maps though, to even account or include or look at Northern Ireland. It just was like... Another place. Yeah. A foreign place for them. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, it was not not interesting to them at all. Now, obviously, with Sinn Féin coming up, and down here and obviously in the north it creates a, a different dilemma it's obviously interesting it's a kind of interesting story because you know now can i ask you do you think the Sinn Féin vote is permanent or temporary uh this is a fantastic question because i think it's a very soft vote i think uh, a lot of people look at that Sinn Féin vote and assume that it is it's a hardened vote that all these people i mean none a lot of the people who are saying that they're voting for Sinn Féin have have not done so yet you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing about it is when you come, usually leadership ratings and party ratings track one another, right? So like a leader is popular, the party is popular. You can see it in the UK today, Boris Johnson is not particularly popular and the Conservative Party. Have, I have want to ask you that before we go, but yeah. the, the, the shambles that is yeah, down yeah. the street. But, no, but go on. But for Sinn Féin, that's not the case. Mary Lee Macdonald's personal approval rating, no matter what, poll you look at isn't significantly better than that of Leo Varadkar or Micheál Martin. And that reflects what we've seen in this other part of the poll, that it's not really Mary Lou Macdonald that's actually driving this. And maybe that's a positive because maybe if she has a bad day, then it doesn't really matter because they're going to be up there because again, it comes back to this thing that people just don't want to vote for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. There's, a, there's another kind of separate thing I sometimes think is that governments never really have the support of more than 45% of the public. At any stage. At any stage, really. Yeah. And so if two big parties go in together, just, they're just going to be squeezed into that 45%, no matter what it is. So and that's kind of also what's happening, really. So. But what you're suggesting also is that the Sinn Féin poll numbers for listeners, there's no implicit certainty that this will lead to them being in power. Yeah, the, the, there is another Let's thing. Let's tease that one out a bit. Yeah, so there's another thing that... that we've seen in democracies right throughout the world. And this is this increasing volatility. There's a thing called the Pedersen Index, which measures the extent to which um, the, the change in vote share of a given party from one election to the next. And when you look at that and you track that across all the countries over time, it's clear that we're in a decade of hyper volatility in terms of the extent to which people are voting and changing their minds. So sure, the polls today are very good for Sinn Féin. And look, they may actually carry these polls carry the support into the next general election. But there's absolutely no guarantee that that will be the case. There's been a lot of elections relatively recently, and we've talked about them before, in Germany, where the SPD, probably the most boring party you can imagine, all of a sudden came up, surged. And they're now winning. And they're, yeah, exactly. They have the boss, the top job. Absolutely. And there was a fear about four years ago that the SPD would disappear. Yeah, it was it it was the one that we were all going. This is the death of the death social of, democracy. Yeah, yeah, and the SPD was the best case in point, you know. And they were going into coalition governments. We're like, right, this is this is exactly what's going on here. And then they just recover out of nowhere. I mean, out of all the political parties in that system, they are the most like one that you would say that they're not going to do it. Yeah, they, they've got a bang in the seventies often. They really have. <laughs> they really do. And so, but but who? Else? I mean, the other one was like, I mean, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, right? And yeah, I'm not saying that he did particularly well, but that election that he had in 2017 came out of nowhere. You know, they uh, the Conservative Party was 20 percent ahead when the election was called. 
and then ended up two percent, only two percent ahead uh, on the actual polling day itself. It was stunning, and this sort of stuff happens. This happened in the last Irish election, general election. So there's no guarantee because when we poll people, I think a lot of people, like if I went on the street and asked someone out there, you know, who are you going to vote for in the next general election? It's a ridiculous question to ask people. On it some is level, because right? people's heads are not even in that sort no. of space. Yeah, there isn't a general election tomorrow. Like that's just nonsensical, right? So I think a lot of people actually think about it when the election is called, and I think that seems to be. And then things and things can shift and very can shift. But can I ask you one thing about this? You because this there seems to be two distinct camps in Ireland. Well, there's many, but one of them is like, the Shinners. Anyone but the Shinners, right? Yeah, and yeah, you can, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's very popular in the yes. media, yeah. and it's. Very popular in the establishment. And there's this huge fear and they say, are they still run by the army council and yada, 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 right? So that's anyone but the Shinners, right? But is there not, even for those people, the anyone but the Shinners, is there not a sort of a cathartic moment where an insurgent party kind of has to come into power in order for them to prove, well, are they an insurgency or are they something real? Do you know what I mean? The more that the Irish establishment, even after a tight general election, does the back behind the scenes sort of smoke-filled room deal with independence and labour and la la to keep the shinners out, the stronger they're going to get. Yeah. So I mean, is, is there not, like, if you're thinking the long term, if you're a real political strategist here for one of the big parties, Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil or one of those, is there not a thing, part of you says, look, let them win? Uh, look, I, I totally agree. And it relates to our French friend that we were going to talk about. And... It's this idea of you if you amplify the idea of someone is this scary thing, because this is the problem I have, is that uh, the people who might say that thing is really scary, don't touch that, aren't really the most trusted people in society. Unfortunately, right? It'd be great if politicians and journalists and everything were one among the most trusted people in society. But unfortunately, they're the least trusted. So it's like my enemy's enemy is my friend sort of thing yeah. goes on here. So I think when people try to push these guys outside the cordon sanitaire, it actually gives them a little bit more of excitement, a of little course. bit more, oh, there's a bit of a risk, a bit of chance here. Who's going, you know? So, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like it's, it's when the shinners have to talk about raising taxes or balancing well, budgets, or all these sort of things. When you normalize politics and you normalize a party and then people say, well, you know, you said you were going to build 50,000 houses and there's 28,000 built. Yeah. And house prices are still rising and rent's still a problem. That's when a party becomes either a permanent thing or a transitory thing. Well, it just, it just reminds me of this, this weakness in the Sinn Féin coalition. The fact that they have these two groups of voters and they're presenting policies such as the carbon tax. Uh, they're not in favour of carbon taxes and they're not in favour of property tax. And on those two issues... That subset of the population that is quite left wing, I guess, that's not going to be particularly popular because that looks very much like Fianna Fáil in the 1970s, not in favour of dealing with these sorts of problems. And well, I mean, the, the property tax is the weirdest one because the left in Ireland, even the extreme left in Ireland, are against property taxes, which seems to make no sense yeah, because yeah. if you're not taxing property, you're taxing income, taxing people. Yeah. And it's a very it's a very strange one. But let's leave the Ireland. Let's leave this island. I want to go to the UK and then I want to go to France, right? What about our friend Johnson? He's been partying. He's been having babies. He's been the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, he, uh, you know, this is the... I'm watching Peppa Pig, of course. Watching Peppa Pig, yeah. yeah. watching Peppa Pig. 
Well, it, this is his, it, it's, it's very interesting. Obviously, you know, there's this scandal where they had this party, Pippa Crerer of the Mirror reported on it. And then a couple of days later, the ITV released this footage and it was clear that actually they had a party and all this kind of denial is coming out. And- but it was also on a day that there was huge numbers in infections and deaths. Oh, the actual day of the party. Yes. Yeah. 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 They had an awful time in 2020, the UK. Mm. You know, they really, I think, were scarred. But obviously, it's very open now. But I mean, the two times in which Boris Johnson's support has dipped. One was during the summer of 2020, where they weren't doing particularly well in relation to COVID. And then this time. So it's fascinating to see the Labour Party is now, for the first time, with Boris Johnson in charge, ahead, eight points ahead in the latest YouGov poll, as I saw. And that is quite significant. Now, it's eight not points the, is huge. Yeah, eight points is a, is a jump. And so this has had a very clear and definitive effect. And it's quite interesting why something like this can have an impact on the popularity of a leader and so many other things perhaps in the past didn't. And I think it's because the pandemic is something that a lot of stories obviously are just kind of inside baseball, not really people paying much attention. But this yeah. pandemic, I think everyone had to do certain things. Everyone, and behave in a certain way. Yeah. And it's it's a certain thing, I think, that really undermines politics and government if they if they kind of are seen to be not behaving by the rules which everyone else is behaving by. And they're telling everyone to do. So like it's the pandemic is a fascinating thing because I can I can normally if I do a poll on on, on some topic, it might be too inside baseball. It might be not something that people are generally recognizing. But the pandemic it's quite interesting because everyone has an opinion on COVID-19 and, and, the, and restrictions and, restrictions and openings and, and vaccinations and everything. Yeah. Because you have to, you have to pay attention to it. And I think the reason why Boris Johnson is getting done by this is because everyone paid attention to those restrictions and everyone is paying attention to what he's done and what he's not done in this particular case. And can he get out of this? Well, it's a long time into the next general election. I mean, I remember when we were 12 points ahead at the same time in the cycle and we got absolutely smashed. So, like, we being the Labour Party. We being the Labour Party, yeah. But, but just for, for listeners should know that Kev worked, Kev worked for the Labour Party in the UK. Uh, yeah. But you were, yeah. But the, yeah. will there be leadership change? For Boris Johnson? Yeah. Well, okay, so the, there's a very interesting uh, by-election coming up on Thursday, uh, North Shropshire by-election. And it's quite interesting because... Uh, the Conservative Party would have gotten 60-odd percent uh, in the last uh, general election there. Uh, the Lib Dems only got around 10 percent. I think Labour got around 20 percent. And normally you'd look at that as a Labour-Tory marginal, but the Liberal Democrats released an internal poll presenting it as a Lib Dem-Tory marginal. Mm. Labour released their own internal poll presenting it as a Labour uh, Tory marginal, but the Guardian took that first information, and maybe it was done by some professional pollster or something. But it was only of po- uh, postal voters, so it's a bit of dodgy data, basically presenting this as this contest between these two. And now the whole thing has coalesced uh, uh, on this fight between the Lib Dems and the Conservatives. And bear in mind that, as I said, the Tories got sixty percent last time, the Lib Dems got ten percent. But now the Lib Dems are actually favourite to win this in this by election, and if they win that, yeah. That's when he could be in trouble because that's a real signal, I think, to the other members of his his yeah. government that actually the show is over or the show is certainly not uh, as as good as it was. Well, it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I did an event with Philip Hammond, the former chancellor oh, of no, the yeah. UK, who is a very, very decent guy, very, very funny. But he was talking about the Conservative Party 
And he was just saying, look, you know, the Conservative Party love a winner. Doesn't matter. But if Boris is not a winner, then then he's gone. That's the same. You know, like, so look, he can do whatever he can. He can deny he's got children. He can have this, that, there, as long as he's winning, right? Yeah. But if it turns, they will turn against him. That's but the question then is, who replaces him before an election? Or do they go and lose the election? I Rishi. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say. Rishi Sunak, yeah. Yeah. Replaces him straight away. Well, he's he's the obvious candidate. He's very popular. He is actually very popular. Is he very popular amongst yeah. the grassroots or in the UK? No, in, general? The, in the general population, yeah. Right, he's regarded his, his as... His approval rating is quite big, yeah. yeah. So he'd be a serious threat. He's to the Johnson. obvious yeah, yeah. choice, yeah. And you'd go from chaos to competence in one move. Yeah, he'd... He looks good, I guess, you know, he looks competent. Now, speaking of big countries, competence, let's go to France. Because this character, Zemmour, came out of nowhere. Well, he was a TV star, wasn't he? He was a TV yeah, show. Yeah, he was a, he, <clears throat> he was a journalist. Uh, he's interesting because he was an intellectual sort of, you know, uh, he, he, he basically is the Bolsonaro of France, is the way you can put it. Right. So, okay. And this seems to be a playbook now at this stage. So you go on television and you speak you know, absolute garbage to attract attention. You just say whatever the hell you want. His, one of his lines was, unaccompanied foreign miners were thieves, murderers, and rapists. This uh, is the Trump playbook as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Now, the difference between him and Trump is obviously that he has a bit of brains behind him. He was uh, <laughs> studied at the elite universities of science. Yeah. He's, he's a, yeah. Well, Trump was in Wharton. Wharton right here. The one. <laughs> Trump wrote a book, didn't he? I think <laughs> the art of the deal. Uh, the art of the deal. I like. I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So uh, also, the French citizens should only be allowed to give their kids French names. So that was gas as well. But uh, he's he's so he's basically no Mohammed, no Ackerman, yeah, no, yeah, Fais, yeah, no yeah, Faisal. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah. He's he, but he's also he's also due on trial for incitement to hatred. So he's he he is pushing this thing out. He's he's not a stupid and man. and he's and he's a Jewish racist. Yes. Which is another strange yeah, thing. There was, a, there was some perverse thing he was suggesting that uh, Vichy France was good to the Jews or something like this, that, he, that they protected them, even though there was something, some particular character that actually was particularly bad in, in that regard. Yeah, it was, it was some stunning stuff. So he's, he's a about. really perplexing combination of characteristics. Yeah. But he's popular. He is significantly popular. He's, he's, he's interesting. He, he is now sort of in fourth place. In fact, he was actually in second place until only a week or two ago. One of the interesting thing is he's obviously far right, right? And, but his support differs slightly from that of Le Pen in that it, you're talking about higher social grades. You're talking about public in, intellectuals. Uh, he does uh, relatively well among the upper middle class, uh, older people and among men. And she does well among kind of the traditional blue collar type worker. So they're coming at it, coming at that same vote from relatively different perspectives. And I think one of the interesting things here is that those two candidates, himself and Le Pen, now he, he actually argued that Le Pen is speaking like Macron and Macron is speaking like Le Pen, which I think is an interesting and probably arguably true uh, definition of what's going on. But he is doing relatively well, but in any second round against Macron, he's, he's he way, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he has no chance really. So I think there's there's something that has to be discussed between himself, Le Pen, and even this other third guy, Dupont, like Dagnan, if I can pronounce that correctly, who's a kind of another kind of Eurosceptic on around 2%, who might make up the difference between the two as to see who might actually potentially get into the second round. But yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating, well, he's an interesting character, but he's part of the same idea, this 
attract attention at all costs, no matter how ridiculous you say it. People will, like we will, say how ridiculous this guy is and what's he saying. But he gets, he, he then gets attention. And he does and connect then, with people. And then people who are completely disaffected with the system go, ah, I kind of like him. Speaks the truth or whatever, you know, that sort of stuff. John, the platform was yours. I can see a John Davis demagogic character in the next election. Uh, the plans are in place already, Mac. I, I can sense it. You've actually you've <laughs> yeah. secretly been using this podcast as a Absolutely. platform for many years to ventilate your mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, around the, around the houses. That was great. Around the houses. And uh, Kevin, that was great. Thanks a million. Great. Thanks a million, guys. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Interesting stuff, as always, from Kevin. But... Zemmour, Zemmour. Zemmour, Zemmour, I think. Yeah. Where did he come from? I he never came heard from of him telly, before. which is always... The telly. He came from the telly. He's like a man That's the, the worst telly. place to come from. When he came back, he's, he came from the telly. He, he was a French journal, uh, but as, as Kevin was saying, kind of intellectual, journal, TV guy, etc. And a bit like having, for example, your man, Hanratty, is that his name? Hannity? Han- oh, Hannity, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be Sean Hannity of the States. Remember, imagine, like, for example, David McCullough from Primetime <laughs> going for yeah. presidency. Well, in fairness now, Schwarzenegger 
came, Schwarzenegger, yeah. came from the big screen. He did. He did. As did Reagan. And also, by the way, and harken back to uh, our last podcast, your man Zelensky is from, from Ukraine. He's also comedian. off the telly. He's a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Darrow Brian, there's something yeah, for Darrow. If Darrow decides, if Darrow decides, he's going to just jack it in over and have I got news for you. And who else was on Have I Got News For You? Boris Johnson. Big Boris. The telly is the way forward. That is the way. And of course, you know, reality man himself, Trump as well. Yeah, I mean, but also the TV is publicity to people. TV is recognition. And if you start with this idea that, you know, the usual thing, all, politi- all politics are the same. Mm. People say, They're all the same, right? Well, then if you, if you denigrate people's policies to such an extent, then what actually matters is recognition. And the TV gives enormous recognition to lots and lots of people. Yeah. But it is interesting because France is being dragged to the right. The UK is being dragged to the right. We are being dragged to the left. But there's many people would argue that in the broad umbrella of Sinn Féin are many elements that are both on the right and the left. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. But but was there anything surprising in that for you? Look, I think, and it's a weird thing to say on the podcast, I think it's probably about time that Sinn Féin got a chance. You know, you can't orchestrate politics all the time on keeping these people out. There mm. has to be something more for politics, you know? And if they are getting the lion's share of the young vote, if they are accelerating in the polls, maybe it's time to think, okay, Sinn Féin in power. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. You know, but that's democracy. But the interesting thing is, because our system, as Kevin elucidated, is so particular in taking away the power of the big party, which is a good default position. Mm -hmm. So you don't get these massive majorities like they have in the UK, right? Or or in many other countries, right? Sinn Féin will need, and they, of course, they will learn how to do deals with everybody. Then once you start doing deals with people, then you're kind of compromised. You're a little bit, you're you're not very pure. Well, you're not very pure if you're doing deals and suddenly you end up building, you know, let's say community halls and parts of the country just in order to get the vote of the local TD. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in bed with the likes of Michael Lowry, you're, you know, Matty McGrath. Suddenly you're not, you're not the revolutionary purist you were. Yeah. You're actually the practical politician that you must be to be in power. So I don't know, let's see. I, I, I don't see what the problem is. I really don't. I mean, I know that lots and lots of people might be listening and say this, that and whatever, but I think... It, well, it could be, I, I agree with you. It, it could actually be a good thing in the short term. It's also time a bit for our generation and the older generation to maybe step aside and give it to the younger people. John, it's Crimbo. It is. Here's the sales pitch. You can get, can you imagine anything better than this? <laughs> you can get 12 months Patreon subscription to the Dave McQueen's podcast, which is two podcasts ad-free every week. You get two macroeconomic courses. The economic courses I give in Trinity, more or less, Online, which are humdingers, which are humdingers, okay, which we actually won a prize. Indeed, we won a prize. Indeed, Swati Teacher of the Year. But we get all the reading lists. You know the reading lists I go on about. All the reading lists, the lecture notes, videos, the whole thing, and you get these. We're going to introduce this year an online Q and A once a fortnight. I'm going to answer 
the questions that people have. This is all on Patreon. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, no, it will be really good. And it'll, it'll create a, a huge community of people. And this is all on Patreon. And you get a 10% discount if you sign up in December. So that's patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And if you sign up now to Patreon, you get 12 months for the price of 11 months per annual subscription. And or you can look at it by getting 10% off for the whole thing. And the key thing is it's not just the podcast. It's the learning. It's the community. It's the engagement. It's all together. We're going to go up a level yeah. in 2022. Do you know what as well? It's a bloody brilliant Christmas present. You're absolutely right. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.